Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. More V-Show with Bob Valvano is now, right here on ESPN 680 and 105.7. Welcome back. We're coming here from Clemson, South Carolina tonight. Cards and Tigers at 9 o'clock in a game that um, certainly doesn't bode well for Louisville. They're going to get a pissed off Clemson team after losing the way they did to our next guest's alma mater. And then last year, arguably being kept out of the tournament because they lost to a four-win Louisville team. So Louisville will have their hands full. And the aforementioned guest is Jay Billis, who joins us right now. Jay, thanks for being with us. You, um, it's, it's, I don't know, is it too early to start talking about uh, Joe Lenardi and his specialty? Because right now he's only got three ACC teams in the dance. You feel that's too few or you think that's how it's going to play out? What, what say you about that? It's probably too few. I think there's going to be more than that at the end. But as you know, Bobby, the problem with all this is, you know, the the ACC's analytics don't look good. So you don't get a lot of credit for beating the bottom teams in the league, and God forbid you lose to one of them. Uh, you know, you go to the Big 12, every game they play in the Big 12 is a quad one game. Yep. So just about. I mean, it might not be Oklahoma State, but everybody else is a quad one game. So you can rise up in the net rankings by losing and uh, and playing well. And that's one of the issues I think a lot of coaches have with the net is that, uh, or one of the issue, one of the small issues is, uh, you know, margin of victory. You know, you got, you got guys, you know, grinding it out, trying to beat a team by 18 instead of beating them by 14. Uh, right. Stuff like that, that, that we never had to worry about in past years. I, I think it's a small issue, but, uh, but it's one that uh, the coaches are thinking about. About, excuse me, thinking about, and it's factoring into the end of games. No more walk-ons aren't playing as much as they used to because of that. That's true. That is true. I got a theory. I don't think you're going to buy, but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I think it looks to me, if you, you you look around the country, I mean, it certainly starts at the NBA level, but it's carried over to college. I mean, the scoring is way up. They're just the games are routinely now in the NBA going in the 130s, sometimes in the 140s. In college, it looks like the guy – maybe it's just a matter of some high-profile teams that have better offenses. John Calipari comes to mind. He's shooting the three more than he used to. But I believe that if you go to the arena now, as we all do when we broadcast, you get there early, everybody is out there shooting threes, not shooting threes like you might knucklehead around like in the schoolyard. They're working on shooting threes. I don't care what position they play. They're coming, they're working on, you know, footwork and shooting threes. So you, you got everybody on the roster, save maybe one or two guys, are capable of three-point shooters, are capable of three-point shooters. And, and here's the part I'm not sure you'll buy, with the portal the way it is, I don't think coaches demand defense be played as much as they used to for fear that they're going to piss their guys off and they're going to leave at halftime. 
<laughs> I really do believe that because I don't. I see a lot of teams' defense. You say, and they were guys that I used to see their teams play really, really good defense. And I'm like, boy, they got a little lax now. I, I don't. Maybe it's because the players are so transient and it takes time to develop a good defense, but they just don't seem to be demanding it as much as they used to. I, I don't think you're going to agree with that, but I'm throwing it out there. What do you say? I, yeah, I do see it a little bit differently. So I, I think there are a couple things. One, the NBA has different rules than college. So, one, there's a 48-minute game versus a 40, and the NBA has a defensive three-seconds rule. So you can't load up your help side defense in the middle of the lane like you can in college. So it's a lot more difficult to score in college than it is in the NBA, and that's by design. Um, you know, they, they, The second thing, though, in college is the charge block rule. Uh, we changed it last year, and it's been nothing but a success uh for everybody except for some old school coaches you know that that loved to take charges and geared their defense toward it and charted it and put it in their game notes and all that stuff charges are way down so that's opened up drives to the basket which means defenses Mm. have to help more when they help more that leaves open people then you have to close out to them you can drive the close out put them in help again and uh to me that's basketball um reese davis said this to me years ago and we've probably talked about this, Bobby. I was on the NCAA's competition committee for about 10 years. And they probably hated me on that committee because all I did was bitch and moan about uh, overt physicality in the game and the charge mm. block roll, which I thought was insanely stupid. That you could win a path to the basket by beating your primary defender and a secondary defender could, could still be moving and jump in your path um, as long as your big toe had not left the floor yet. <laughs> and I thought that was extraordinarily stupid. You know, the NBA's charge block rule was a secondary defender has to be in position by the time the offensive player gets into what they call the gather. So it gets to their plant foot if, you, if you're going off of one foot. And, uh, and that, that allows you some time. And, and it also rewards you for winning a path to the basket doesn't mean that the secondary defender if they can't get there to take the charge can't knock the ball away from you can't go up and challenge you in the air can't block the shot you can still play defense you just can't you know initiate a collision and get rewarded for it what i consider to be 90 percent of the time before this year of getting a charge and you know i used to say we needed to uh we needed to change the official signal if we really wanted to limit charges, because they used, remember they used to punch the air and yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it was just a, a, it, it's almost like they love to do it. And I'm not bagging on the officials; it's not their fault. But I said, why, why don't you do it where they have to put both their thumbs in their ears and stick their tongue out? And, and they won't want to do it anymore. You know, like why can't why can't college college basketball officials behave like the NFL officials? Throw the damn flag and just say foul on number thirty three and have it over with. You know, they got scowls on their faces and doing that. They don't anymore. It's it's been it's amazing how much better officiating has gotten over the years. And when people complain about officials now, I say if you think it's bad now, one, it's not bad. But if you think it's bad now, you should have you should have been around when I was playing. It was horrifying relative to now like these guys yep. are pros they do a really good job but but I, I think it has more to do with the charge block rule and yeah that's a good point i think i think scoring would be we'd be a lot happier if we would reduce the overt physicality in our game in college basketball because you know you can grab cutters bump guys 
you know, there's so much phys- – and even the vertical contest rule where you can uh, – you know, I think you should be in, in order to vertically contest you should and, and draw contact with an offensive player. You should, you should be there to take a charge first. But now these guys are jumping – defenders are jumping straight up, and, and I think more often than it's called, the defense is initiating the contact. And when you're getting hit, when you're an airborne shooter getting hit by the defender's chest, going into you it's hard to complete those plays mm-hmm. um to me reese davis said this years ago i got off track on it so when, when i would be telling him about you know sort of what i was interested in the competition committee meetings he would say basketball is an offensive game with a defensive component and i think he's right like you know not everybody is entitled to guard everybody else in other words if if i if i switch out on rj davis I'm not entitled to stay in front of that guy. He's quicker. And so if he gets by me, that's my problem. That's mm-hmm. not his problem. I shouldn't be allowed to do things physically to impede him that are, that are against the rules. And I think we allow it too much. It's gotten better, uh, but, but we allow it too much. And that negatively impacts scoring. And whenever a coach in a, a committee meeting, I uh, used to hear two things. One, you would hear hey, defense is 50% of the game. And I go, when is that not true? Somebody's always got the ball and somebody's on defense. It's always, what, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Right, and, right. and they would they would say, well, how, you know, how do you expect the, these guys to guard with that? Well, I don't expect everybody to be able to do it, but if you've got a, a, a really good offensive player, say Harrison Ingram from North Carolina gets a smaller defender on him, he backs him down into the post. Well, what are you going to do if you can just back that guy down? Mm-hmm. Send the double team, right, and get the ball out of his hands, and then and then rotate when he passes it out. Like that's basketball, it's right? Not basketball that you're just allowed to mug the guy and get <laughs> in a bumping contest with him. Um, that's not that's not what this is about. And uh, and people people who remember when you and I were younger, you know, like in the '80s or the early 90s, they would say, oh, man, the Big East was way more physical back then. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Go and look at it. The only di- Watch the film of it. Watch the film of the Villanova-Georgetown uh, championship game. They were, they were pressuring the ball four feet away from the ball handler. Mm-hmm. And it's way different now. The difference back then is there were no flagrant fouls. So right. when they fouled somebody, they put them into the wood and started a fight. That's right. why people thought it was more physical. It was it's not. True. It's more physical now. And oh. uh, and to me, when I watch a game, I w- like I watched uh, Texas-Houston uh, last night. If Houston were playing in the NBA, there's no way they would be able to defend like that. No yep. way. They'd all foul out by halftime. But we allow it in college because they do it all the time. And I'm not bagging on Houston. I love Houston. They're a great team, and, and I love the way they play. But that game was in the 60s. It didn't – It there's no way unless these guys are, are shooting 20% that these, these games should be in the sixties. Um, this, this game is about scoring. It, it's not about, it's not about like, you know, the weight room. And years ago we said, let's get the weight room out of basketball. And it's back in now. All you hear are coaches coming in saying, we got to be more physical. Boy, we need oh, to yeah. be more physical. And, yep. uh, and physicality should not be the lead story in these games. It should be skill and all that stuff. And we're not, you know, I, I I still think the game's in great shape. I'm not complaining, but but if we're saying like you know, they always say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I said, well, I never heard anybody say if it ain't broke, don't improve it. 
you know, <laughs> like we can still improve it, and uh, and we should we should endeavor to improve it. And uh, and I think Chris Ratstad or the NCAA uh, supervisor official is doing a great job. He's just one guy though, and there are all these conference supervisors and all these layers. Nobody's nobody's really in charge. Chris is only in charge of the NCAA tournament. And uh, and that's so he's choosing officials, and that's the only hammer he has is to look at an official and say, "Hey, if you keep calling games this way, I'm not going to choose you." But he's got to have enough officials to do the tournament, and they all know that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there, you know, everybody but the the bottom tier is going to get in. Right, Jay Billis with us. Uh, always, that's good stuff as always. Uh, one quick point, and then I want to get back on track. But maybe you'll you'll pick up the the gauntlet with this too. You talk about hand signals. I I really think they need to change the signal for when they're going to go to the video because that is the universal signal for whoopee. And believe me, nobody goes whoopee when they decide to go to the video thing. It, it pisses me off that he's making a gesture that looks like he's saying yay, and everybody's looking and saying, oh, not again. We're going to this video thing. So I'd, I'd rather have him stick his thumbs in his ears and wiggle his hands for that call than when he does the whoopee call when they're going to go do the video review. So I just wanted to it's, plant that. Yeah, since you, become, you, I agree with you, though. It's become a crushing thing at the end of games. And I get it. We want to get it right. Who doesn't want to get it right? Right. But what we're saying is we only want to get it right in the last two minutes and on these particular calls. And, and I don't really care for that. Uh, yep. Jim Delaney, the former commissioner of the Big Ten, called it exactly right 10 plus years ago saying, you let replay in you won't be able to control it and it's going to go in areas that are really going to be debilitating Mm. the game and he was absolutely right we we Mm. haven't been able to control it and the one thing that i would like to see us do you know because replay is here to stay sadly but the one thing i would like to see us do is is there's so much money in these games we need to have a we need to have an official on site that does that so they can do yeah. it while the officials are calling the game because it's yep. two different skill sets. We're asking officials to be re, to be appeals judges on their own calls. Yep. The other thing is TV should be allowed to go to commercial uh, while they're looking at it because these things take long enough. We can get our commercials in and then get back to the games, and it's uh, it, it would be and then we don't have to go to commercial again. We can just burn our commercials then. Good point. It's a it's a less tedious thing. I wanted to ask you about this again. I'd love your insight into things. I have noticed this, maybe just noticed it this year, and it's always been the case. But I think it's time to examine the fouling out rule too, because I think first half the officials are loath to call some of those physical plays you're talking about because they're not stupid. They know who the good players are, and they don't want to put them on the bench in the first half. And so the tone is set for a physical kind of game that you abhor because they're letting stuff go early because they don't want to call that second foul. And then, of course, when you call that second foul, everybody now puts that guy on the bench. So you got we all come to see these great players. And for the first for the last 12 minutes of the first half, you know, Jay Billis is sitting on the bench because he's got two fouls. I'm not saying it should just be allowed to go hog ass wild out there and beat everybody up. Maybe there should be an additional penalty for fouls over five or so. But I don't think they should go to six necessarily and make that the foul out rule. But they should be something that it's the only game we have i mean a pitcher can balk 30 times in a row he doesn't come out and an offensive lineman can hold 15 straight plays he doesn't come out and you know hockey players can get 10 two-minute penalties and they don't get thrown out but in this game you can go foul out and and the game as you said is so physical now that it's it's kind of hard not to get 
fouls, really. And so, I don't know, maybe there's a, a way to examine that. You violently opposed to that, or what do you think about that? No, I, I think I think especially since fouling is, is used at the end of games as strategy, uh, one, I think it should be more like football, where the, the, the team that's fouled should be allowed to decline the foul and just inbound the ball again. And, uh, uh, you know, if you want to go for a steal and foul again or whatever, you, get, you can take the free throws if you want. Um, but I think all of our rules on fouls and free throws should change. Um, you know, one, I think we should go to quarters, which we don't have now, and they right. claim it's because of commercial inventory for men's games as opposed to women's games. Men's college basketball is the only basketball game played in the world that does not have quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, the, we're the only game in the world. It used to be FIBA and us, but now it's just us. And uh, and that would um, that would allow you to reset the team fouls at the end of the first and third quarters, and it would reduce the amount of free throws overall on common fouls in a forty minute game. So I would love to see that happen. The other thing, and this is a smaller thing, there are two things with free throws. Uh, number one, um, free throws have never made sense to me. That if I get fouled on a layup, I have to walk fifteen feet away and make <laughs> two shots because you committed an illegal act. What I would like to see is one shot for the value of the shot that was taken away from you. So, so it, it, it'll make the games quicker. Um, you know, you, good free throw shooter, bad free throw shooter, what? You get one shot for two points or one shot for three points if you're fouled on a three and let's go. Mm. And mm. then the other thing is on free throw violations. I have never understood this. I don't think it's a good rule, but if, if, uh, if, uh, a guy shoots a free throw and somebody steps in early and the free throw goes in, there should be no violation. The free throw it counts because the violation affects only the rebound. If the shot is missed, it doesn't affect the free throw. So uh, there's no reason to take another free throw or the other team gets the ball out of bounds, all that stuff. But if, if there is a violation and the shot is missed, the ball should there shouldn't be another free throw. The ball should go to the non-violating team because what did the violation do? It affected your ability to get a rebound. You get a rebound, you can hit not only a two, you can hit a three and perhaps get fouled. So you should you should get the ball. And uh, and I, I don't see why that's so controversial, but it's sort of a tradition we've had on free throws. And I just don't think the tradition's that good. Like I heard somebody at the uh, RNA on uh, during the British Open say they they were talking about tradition in golf, and the the gentleman said tradition is only uh, useful if it's relevant to the present. And I thought, what a great what a great statement. Um, you know, like you can have a lot of traditions, it doesn't mean they're good traditions. And I don't think that's a good rule, and I think it's something that should be changed. Interesting. Jay Billis with us. I'd be remiss in this town if I didn't ask you about, obviously, what's going on here with, with Louisville, and I'm not suggesting we be vultures in circle and try and pick successors or anything like that. But I will ask you, you coached for a short time, and you've been calling games now forever. If you suddenly were thrust into taking over this program, what would be your first priorities, do you think? Well, the players. Uh, because those guys are trying hard. It's just really difficult. When the ball starts rolling downhill and there's negativity around you, it is really, really diff- uh, difficult. And so you'd want to make sure the players are taken care of and that they're in the best possible mental shape to, to go out and continue to fight uh, and that they don't fracture. And Because and, you, you know how it is, Bobby. You, te- you have a team that's losing. Uh, people tend, players tend to say, well, I, I better get mine then. 
Um, right. And uh, and that, that can make things worse. I haven't noticed that with Louisville and watching their games, but there's a cloud that they're carrying with them, and weight, there's extra weight on their shoulders while they're trying to play. And how are you gonna how are you gonna execute when you're carrying a 50 pound weight on you? And that's a very real thing. And uh, you know I haven't been through it to quite that level, but my freshman year we had a we started all freshmen and we were not a great team. And it was a really difficult year and one that uh, was difficult to get over. Uh, we got over it the next year and became a, a, a really good NCAA tournament nationally ranked team and got better even from there. But it was a really hard year and one that was uh, was scarring in a lot of ways. And the scars healed and helped us in the in the in later years. But uh, first things the players. But you, you, I think you have to start over. Uh, in a lot of ways and recommit to what's important and make sure you're putting the players on the floor that are doing things the way you want it done, even if they may not be the best players. And uh, uh, it, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. Uh, Cause now you're thinking about recruiting and next year, who's going to want to come here and all that stuff. And uh, you know, it's just a downward spiral. That's hard to get out of. My friend, you're the best. Take care of yourself. I will. Uh, let's see. Do I see you this weekend? I have Houston and Kansas. Are you out there? Where are you going? No, we're going to Duke, Carolina this weekend. Oh, so I forgot. Yes, of course. Kansas. I've got Kansas State, Kansas, or I got Kansas at Kansas State on Monday. Uh, huh. so I'll be in the in the flatlands, driving out to Manhattan, Kansas, the Little Apple. That's a longer drive from Kansas City Airport than you've got. Yes, it is. Is is his team in a little problem here? What do you make of Bill Self's team? I, I think I think Kansas is really good, but they've got four and a half really good players. And and they don't know what they're getting from anybody else. And the half mm-hmm. is Johnny Furphy, who's playing really well right now, but he's still a freshman. Mm-hmm. And so they're not a great three-point shooting team, but they're dynamite getting to the rim. And, and they score a lot of points and score efficiently. But um, I, I think it's remarkable they have the record they have right now, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had Arturio Morris, the guy who transferred in from Texas and, and got bounced out of the university uh, before the season started – uh, they'd be as good as anybody, but they're just missing. They're missing a piece, yep. and uh, uh, and so championship level, they're 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 second weekend good, but do I think they're final four championship good? Uh, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to get some breaks and play extraordinarily well and continue yeah. to get better, like like most teams will in the next month. Yeah, that sounds uh, pretty spot on as always. Th- Jay, thanks. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, my friend. You too. Bye bye. All right, we will t- take a short break. We're gonna. Um, What's our schedule? I guess we'll just come back, talk, maybe take a couple of texts, and then we'll do Knuckles at 140, and then a little bit later we do CL and we do a V-Stakes, that kind of yeah, an yeah, agenda. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can do that. Okay. All right, sounds like a plan. All right, um, some point so that's we, it. We have a, a, a hit or myth at some point, but we can save that for Great. tomorrow or just work in a couple of those questions throughout the show. All right, fair enough. So we'll take a break, uh, but we won't completely take a break because – you did, did you send me? You didn't send me things I'm supposed to say, did you? Uh, we don't have any today. We're okay. But we're supposed to go to break, remember? And we're supposed to say things like, listen to basketball here or, or soccer here or, or baseball or tennis or something. Oh, the promo sheet. Yes, yeah. Indeed. The yeah. promo sheet. I should probably send you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. I didn't even realize I didn't see I can, I can find it, I think. I bet you I can find it. Would you like to bet I can find it? Well, let's sure play again. How long okay. do you think? Let's play. Let's play. Beat the clock. How long? For me to t- find the sheet. Well, think? I just forwarded it to you, so no, don't do that. Because I want to find it in the in the Gmail account from uh, from um, Avery. Ready? Go. 
Let's see. Can I do it in 30 seconds? What do you think? Oh, done. Already done. You lose. Right there. Boom. Bang. Bing, bang, boom. Got it. Impressive. Yeah, no, it was. I got to admit, I was a little impressed about that myself. Uh, we are, you don't know Clemson's coming up tonight. Thanks to Raising Canes, they brought some uh, fabulous lunch to the studios today. Uh, plan ahead with Raising Canes mobile app or by ordering at Raising Canes, RaisingCanes.com. Flagship station for the cards tonight as they take on Clemson. The Alex White Network coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. And then after the broadcast, tune into the Coors Light postgame show with Ethan Moore. Kentucky is uh, in uh, action against Florida tomorrow. Mike Gandolfo, Jason Entz, and Zach Cantrell at 10 p.m. for the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife postgame show on 105 on 680-1057. Uh, other play-by-play coming your way. I just I can't hype this enough because I just think if you're a basketball fan, not be jazzed up about this. Saturday. All of these games on our airwaves. St. John's, UConn, 11.45 a.m. Houston and Kansas, I'll be part of the broadcast team for that and looking forward to that uh, at 3.30 p.m. Bellarmine basketball at Queens. Duke and North Carolina at 6.15 and Louisville taking on Florida State. That is a day of hoopage wherever you're going, man. Keep your phone, listen on the app, in your car. Uh, you, you, you're not going to have any reason to change the station at all that day. Or actually go back and forth maybe from the AM side to the FM side. But if you like basketball, that is like a a, a festival of hoops right there. So uh, you'll enjoy that Saturday here on ESPN Louisville. All right, now we'll take a break, and then we'll get back with more ESPN 680-1057. Be a part of the show. Text Bobby V on the UPS Jobs text line at 437-9680. Okay, so this is just a couple of minutes till we bring in Neil Knuckles Greenberg, but I think Nick will appreciate this. My, my son Jamie's sick now. We're all, all sick. When the, bad, when the cold weather comes, we must have a gene somehow that wipes us all out. I was sick again. I had pneumonia. Nick was sick. Jamie's got 105 fever now. I don't even, everybody except Shelby, and she's a nurse. She's Maybe she's immune because she's around the germs all the time. I don't know. It's irrelevant. But it only happens when the weather gets down in the 30s and then the 20s, and around here when it goes from, you know, 58 degrees to 6 degrees, back up to 40 degrees. I have jokingly said for weeks now, they hear me say it all the time, that we have to find W-E-Q-U, the uh, E-Q-U-A, W-E. Q, no, it's W four letters. W E Q U, which is uh, the Equator's sports leader. <laughs> that's where that's where we want the ninety three nine the sun. One oh five seven. It's hot as hell. That's that's their call. That's a, yeah. Well, okay. Well, so I said just for S and G. Ah, damn it! I'm gonna go look because I don't know about you. It's very bad, but I envision like the equator as like you see in in Warner Brothers cartoons. You know, just nothing but desert and sand and, you know, Bugs Bunny crawling on his belly in a 100,000 degree temperature. And I have been surprised at how many, because I don't want to live in the in the wild. That wouldn't be my thing. So I'm going to the show I, from I the did, Amazon. That could be amazing. No. All you hear is rain in the background. People put it on when they go to want to go to sleep, you know, because you get that rain. Get, get one of those like guys that, you know, the, the tribes that are completely isolated from the real yeah. world. You know, yeah. get one of them, and he just starts immediately firing off takes. <laughs> I'm 
telling you, Obubu is overrated as a hunter. Uh, this guy hasn't done anything since he got that boar in 2015. He's, rid- He's still, li- rode those still living on that one big hunt. It's unbelievable. He's a little bit like your country's Doc Rivers. What? Yeah, you know, Doc Rivers, he won the one championship. He's still living on it. You My guys, God, sir. You guys don't know what planes are, but you know about Doc Rivers. Very impressive. Anyway, so I went through it and I typed in Google cities on the equator. There, for those of you who don't know, there are no the, the equator does not have any land that is part of North America. It's, it goes through South America and Africa and uh, parts of Asia. But there are a, a, a lot of cities, some really big cities. Um, and and I was starting to look at, okay, like where would be, so I just randomly picked one. I, I'm going to say these names all wrong, so forgive me if you're a world traveler much more than I am, but Bandaka, which is uh, in part of the DRC, Kampala, Kampala, I think it's part of like, is that Kampala Lumpur, is that what they say, in Uganda? I think so. Kisimu and Nukuru in Kenya, Kismayo in Somalia, not interested in going there. Pontianic. This is the one I was interested in. I don't know why I picked this one, but Pontianic. Okay, which sadly is no, no. It's Pontianic, but they don't. I don't think they have Pontiac cars there. Although they, um, they, it's 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 a mythical um, woman who's who's like a a a ghost of some sort, and so there's some like. I don't know. There, there, there's, there's, there's a, there's a eerie story about it. But I would be willing to overlook it because I looked at in, in the city, in, in the city, uh, you, you fly into Supatio International Airport, and then you go to the city of Pontaniac. Okay, and I'm looking, and it's a, it's a city. There's cars and traffic and buildings and shops, and that's my speed. And so I'm like, all right, well, just for S and G. Let's go take a look at um, hotels, okay? And you know, and I'm, I I go by I'm reading reviews. You can't always go by that, but there there's 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 hotels. You know, if you if you go to any of the travel sites, they do. It's kind of like recruiting, right? One star, two star, three star. Four. So you're looking for places that are four star or five star, right? I mean, if you run if you really want to go to something nice. Would you like to take a, a, a swing at what the hotels cost? A four-and-a-half-star hotel in Pontianac City, city center, walking distance to shopping and uh, a mall and some other recreational things. You want to take a stab at it? $300 a, night. a month or a night. $37 a night. Oh, wow, really? Wow. And they're not alone. There's wow. There's all sorts of competition Here's the Aston Pontianic Hotel. Sleek lodging with dining and a pool. The other one had a pool also, by the way. Clean room, strategic location, yummy breakfast. Nice food, good service and facility. Always the best. Always serving the best. Price of that per night? $30. $30. Wow, that is this terrific. Sna- this snazzy hotel is... 2.1 kilometers from the monument of the equator. There's a monument for the equator. It shows you where There's the equator is. Oh, wow. You could go, yeah, go walk and stand and take a picture. It says equator. You'd be at the equator. You could straddle the northern hemisphere and the uh, southern hemisphere if you wanted to. 
25, 20. Here's one. You say, well, gosh, Bob, what do you think? I'm ro- rolling in money? I don't have that kind of dough. How about the Harris Pontianic, which is a, uh, a lovely four and a half star, friendly staff and service, clean room, easy access to nearby shops and food, very nice experience, good facilities, has a beautiful pool. Price on that per night? $25. (laughs) Are you kidding me? It's like the La Quinta Inn, the 20. I I just, I was dumbfounded. And and the average temperature is between, well, I'll tell you, because I looked it up before. Because this is, I'm telling you, if I could, now the problem is, as the old cliche goes, you just can't get there from here. It's too, it's about, the round trip airfare is about $1,800. So that so that's like going is, to Costco, spending eight hundred dollars, then getting the dollar slice of pizza at the end. Yeah, yeah. So that's a disappointment, and you can't. It's really tough to drive there because you'd have to drive over the ocean. But um, um, Pontianac. All right, here's the average temperature though. Oh, I'm just digging this Pontianac climate. Look, average temperature daily varies from seventy-five to ninety. <sighs> Rarely below 73, rarely above 93. Oh, heaven. Heaven. You just, you know, instead of buying a round-trip ticket, buy one way and just move there. (laughs) I wonder what sports we'd talk about in Pontianic. They speak English and Indonesian. What what are the big sports in Indonesia? Do you know? Let's see. I Uh, bet you we'd have to become experts in badminton. Probably. Is ping pong big? I know ping pong's big in Asia. I don't know. Let's go look it up. I didn't look this up before when I was preparing for the show. We Sports have Neil Douglas Indonesia. Greenberg on. You can ask him. Sports in Indonesia. Badminton. Futsal. You know futsal. That's like uh, indoor soccer. Futsal. Uh, oh, wait, I, I didn't know that's what that is. Oh, yeah. oh, oh I think it's Sepak Takrau. That game is yeah, awesome. That's, they don't have that. They have um, soccer, volleyball, table tennis, and I kid you not, the last one on, this, on the list is cricket fighting. Like crickets traditionally taught to fight. Like they can train crickets to swing on I each d- other? Or or it's like a bunch of guys going at each other with cricket bats. That could get kind of gruesome. Involves crickets that were traditionally caught in the rice fields by young boys. And then they would put them in and fight, I guess. I, I don't need All the poor little crickets killing each other. Yeah, I don't need to see that. They have buffalo races. Um. That's a little odd. But the other stuff I can get behind, and they do have table tennis. Volleyball, table tennis, soccer, badminton, and futsal. Uh, and football. futsal is the is the indoor form of soccer, right? Isn't that what it is? I, futsal is, uh, yeah, five, it's five-a-side soccer. It's oh, okay. played in a thing that looks like a hockey rink. Okay. I could get behind that. I could definitely be taking calls on that. That guy's killing our team. <laughs> We got to make changes. Sir, sir, I'm telling you, this was once one of the proudest futsal programs in Indonesia, and this guy's come in and he's wrecked it. Sir, it's four games into the season. I don't care. I used to have season tickets. I'm never going back anymore. The businesses are all pissed off. The guy, the little, uh, 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 I don't know how to make a a pretend Indonesian name, so I can't do it. So I'll make him Angelo. Angelo's rice shop next door. That guy's going broke because there's nobody, nobody coming to the matches. <laughs> uh, yeah, damned um, entertaining. I love hot sports takes in other countries. That's it in Indonesia. All right, let's uh, let's get Neil to Neil. Greenberg. 
All right, Neil Knuckles Greenberg from the Washington Post. Two things first. Thank you. You you advised us last game. Your one conference playoff championship best bet was the under for um, which receiver was it again? I forgot. Um, George Kittle. George Kittle, and he won easily. I I got in on that action. One yards at the half. That a boy. That a boy. So we'll I'm we'll ask. Eleven and one this this postseason. You you are eleven and one. Yep. All right, well, let's keep it going. And, uh, well, we got a couple of weeks to the Super Bowl, but you may have something. The other thing is we're talking about I can't stand the cold anymore, thinking of moving to the equator and looking at cities on the equator. Uh, what's the most exotic place to which you've traveled? Most exotic place? Um, I mean, it's not going to be, like, flashy. Probably Aruba or the Dominican Republic. Oh, you've been to the Dominican Republic? I've always wanted to go. It's Not fantastic been there. there. It was absolutely fantastic there. Yeah, well, I love it there. That sounds good. John Saunders, my my late friend who was at DSPN, bought uh, land there. He bought beachfront land there because I guess it was going to be the next big thing. And then, I don't know, the COVID, he passed, of course. So that, And then COVID came and everybody stopped traveling. But uh, I don't know, is it still, it's still a hot, it's still a tourist hot destination, is it not, or no? I mean, it was when we were there. We were there a couple of years ago. Um, but, yeah, we, we enjoyed uh, the Dominican Republic quite a bit. All right. Fair enough. Let's get on to to, uh, to Deportes. Um, a variation on sports because we're still going into a little social thing. Um, what's your take on the people losing their mind about Taylor Swift? <laughs> I, I don't understand. <clears throat> I Look, if you don't. If you don't like the amount of attention she's getting during football games, okay, fine. But to wrangle her into these broad conspiracy theories where she's going to parachute into the stadium, <laughs> dropping voter registration forms, wearing a vote for Biden outfit, like, you lose me there. Like, that's... Oh, uh, yes. Me. Like, I get, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, swift out and you just, it's too much. I, I get that. That's fine. But there's other stuff that's happening I think is just absolutely atrocious. Yeah, fair enough. That's why you're always welcome on the show, because you see crazy stuff and call it out for crazy. I said the exact same thing. I was like, you can like who you want, dislike who you want, vote for who you want, don't vote for who you want. But to just interject these crazy and theories like into it. It's going to happen at halftime. Like, the halftime <laughs> show is going to be stopped. Kelsey is going to swoop in on some type of, like... You know, swing line and <laughs> propose to Taylor, and they're not going to ask for anything off their registry. They're just going to want you to vote and get your vaccine. Like, like, how do you do that? Like, where is this coming from? I don't get it. Yeah. It would be amazing, but it's not going to happen. That was one of the great scenarios of all time. I'm visualizing that as you're saying yeah, it. It'd be like Fan Man. Remember Fan Man during the Holyfield fight coming in? Oh, like, yeah. I picture. Kelsey coming in, like Jason Kelsey's probably going to be the one that kicks him out of the plane and he's going to parachute in. And it's just um, going to be Bedlam. Yeah, all right. Actually, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Oh, it would be great. But it's just, like, where does it, where are you in a room with friends and be like, all right, I got it. Here's what's going to happen. Ready? Right. Someone write this down. Like, yeah, it just, I agree. It, I don't know. It's just. It's crazy. Absolutely. Hey, uh, 
Let's go back to sports betting. I, I brought this up last week. Follow it up again here, though, because I remember for a while you found a, you know, it was like finding a a, a glitch in the computer program, and you were betting you were betting first inning runs in baseball till the yes. the odds makers caught on. Uh, basketball seems to me this year to have points being scored at unprecedented levels. Have the books been slow to respond to that, or are they up to speed on that? No, they're they're pretty agile with that type of stuff. With that type of stuff, I think NBA in particular is one of the the sharper sharper markets. You know, all these pro short, all these pro sports are pretty sharp now. Especially the, the most challenging thing with the NBA also is you don't know who's really going to play till close yes, to game time. Exactly. So you, you only have a couple seconds to even get the bet in. Um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. So yeah, I would say that um, there the the edges for all pro sports right now and we've talked about this before, are live betting because the algorithms don't know how to handle extreme cases, right? Like a team is up 30 at the, in, the, in the half or they're down, you know, 15 points in the first, first quarter or, or whatever. Um, but also the derivatives. Like sometimes they're slow to update the second half points or the first half points and, you know, that sort of thing. So the, the main market can move. But the the derivative markets don't always move as quickly or as much as they should in lockstep, even though they are being you know computer generated. Um, so that's really where you're going to want to focus on. And, and I would also say the player props too. The player prop market in the NBA is very soft. So if you have a good projection system, or even one that's not good but like directionally good, um, you can you can do pretty well. What do you mean directionally good? What's that mean? Well, you don't necessarily need to know like that. Um, you know, LeBron James is going to score thirty points. You just need to know he's going to score more than twenty. Okay. Right? So, like when you're looking at the props, like you don't need exact numbers. You just need to to have a general idea of of the direction it could go, um, and and you can do very well in the in the player prop markets that way. I would think rebounds also are are softer because uh, we have a lot more rebound data than we did before. Um, especially individual matchups and, and who's on the court and who's not playing, et cetera. Um, those are the type of things that I'd be looking at. Talking to Neil Greenberg from the Washington Post, and let, let's look ahead. Are there any bets that are somehow advantageous to get down early on the Super Bowl? Only if you're looking to bet overs. You want to bet overs early. You want to bet unders late because the public bets overs um, way more than they bet unders, so they push the number up. Um, so, like, right now... I'm looking at betting the under on the passing yards prop for both quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy. Um, but I, I'm going to wait. I'm, I, I think that it's going to – it will definitely ride up. I think people will, will, will think both of these players will have big games. Um, I am not one of them. I, I, I would say that you want to wait um, to bet the unders on those. Um, I also think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, so I'm I'm hoping the the total kicks up too because I want to bet that under as well. You bet you you said you thought the AFC Championship game would be under I think when you were with us last week didn't you I thought you said that and it did come in under didn't you or did Yeah you... I hit that as well I thought it'd be I actually played an alternative line of under forty two and a half points at plus money um, and and that wow. also was a pretty easy cash yeah and that was good did you think the other one was going to be under were you surprised that turned into a sixty what it turned into sixty five points. Yeah, I didn't really have a read on that more than the than the. Um, you talking about the uh, San Francisco game? Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I I didn't really have a read a good read on that game. I had 
I had um, my model was all over the place. I just couldn't find anything that I was comfortable with. But the Kittle one, to me, just seemed like it was real easy with how well the Lions defend tight ends. And you know, like I said, he was he had uh, he was one for two at the half for negative one yards. Um, and only caught three passes, I think, the whole game for like twenty something yards. Twenty seven um, was, yes, yeah, so he was, was way under. Yeah, I, I I had no I had no fear of that one whatsoever. Let me spew some numbers at you. Tell me if any of these are significant to you. Ready? I'm ready. San Francisco is 0-5 against the spread in its last five games against teams with winning records. They are also they're also 0 and 3 against the spread the last three games. They're the only team to be favored in every game this season. Second team to reach the playoff the Super Bowl without covering in a playoff game. It's 2007 Patriots were the last ones, and they are um, seven and four against the spread in playoff games under Kyle Shanahan, but 0 and 2 against the spread this year. Anything of substance in that gobbledygook I gave you? No, nothing. And 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 here's the easiest way to look at it. So. You know, these spreads are typically 50-50 propositions, right? Because the, the idea is 50% of games will go over that number, 50% of games will go under, and, you know, the, the book makes the difference, right? Because they charge you like 52, you know, they charge you the big. So if you if you were in a room with a couple of people and you were flipping coins and one person got heads twice in a row, like, you wouldn't think he was good or bad at coin flipping. You would just say that's, you know, that's what happens sometimes. Well, that's the same thing here with these small... Um, you know, these small sample sizes of games. Um, I think I looked into it once. I think you want to add, like, six wins and six losses to to any sort of against-the-spread, you know, win-loss record to get a truer sense of, of where they're at. So if someone's, you know, 2-0 and or 0-2, and let's say, you know, they're really, like, you know, 6-14, and which mm. um, is a lot different than, you know, 0-2. Um, so, yeah, it's always going to gravitate towards, like, that 50-50. I, I wouldn't put much stock in it at all. Texter wants to know, I'm not sure what prompted this right now, but um, do you have any thoughts on, with all the shakeup and players moving and everything, are there any, because he might be right about this. Maybe you know something you say, I can't believe nobody has looked at this. Any bets in the world of golf that get your attention? Yeah, you know, golf is one of the sharpest, is one of the sharpest markets that they have, and it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a an outfit called Data Golf, which puts which crunches a lot of numbers for golf, um, and makes that available to subscribers, and um, very easily matches up. I think this golfer is 70% to win this matchup. You know, here are the odds, and and the books move very quickly. Um, also, I know of at least three sharp books that will take action from one or two bettors before they even release the numbers. So they'll say to them, hey, we want to price this. This is the price we're looking at. They get a chance to bet the line before it's even public. And then when it becomes public, it's already taken into account that sharp action. Um, so I don't bet golf nearly as much as I used to because I just, I just can't compete with, with, that type of, uh, with that type of market. But um, you know, it, it is it's a very it's a very sharp market now. It's just something that I that I gravitate away from. Boy, it's unbelievable. You aren't, I never heard of this website and I just went to it while you were talking, datagolf.com. My yeah. lord, it is yeah. it is it's just the, the numbers and data and information is just thing yeah, out of the phone is, here. It's this amazing. This is the premier this is the, the, the gold standard of like well one, golf gives a lot of data. The PGA tour 
gives a lot of data, and they had for years. They have one of the most robust data sets. I've done a couple stories on this in terms of, you know, their ball tracking technology and what have you. And they, and I mean, they have literally billions of data points for for every single hole um, of of the golf, you know, of a golf tour. Um, so what these guys do at Data Golf is they crunch all those numbers and. You know, they, they, they make their own projections, and then they match them up with the book. Um, and the books also, you know, know this, and they're very quickly to adjust. Um, so these are market influencers at the highest level, and um, it becomes very difficult to, to outmaneuver these guys because they're, they're pretty good at what they do. It's interesting. Let me, so let me ask you this just as an example. I want to make sure I'm reading this right, but it's irrelevant, really, because it's just as an example. Like on the website, uh, their their website, Datagolf, it says they give Scotty Scheffler a 9.9% chance to win the next tournament that's coming up, which I, I think is yeah. the AT&T Pebble, Pebble, Pebble Beach, Beach, I think. Yeah. yeah. All right, so if that's the case, what odds would should you get to make that worthwhile to take a chance on that? Oh, so um, let's say it's 10%. So you'd want at least, you know, plus 900, right, for for Schefter, for, for, for him to win. Um, let's see what they're offering him at. He is at plus 800 right now. Yeah, Rory uh, McIlroy's 800 and Scheffler's 800. They're both the co-favorites. Yeah, so it'd be no bet. But, um, yeah, so like Xander, um, you know, you'd need like plus 1,300 on Xander. He's plus fourteen hundred, so that's a better play then, essentially. So, so that's kind of what I mean. Like the edge, the the books use this to model their book as well. Um, so it's difficult to find edge. Now you can get, you can get edges using this at the open of the market on, on some books, but the limits are low, um, and they go very very quickly. Like you have to be really on top of what you, it's. A, it's almost a full time job. Yeah. to be able to snipe these type of prices using this. But um, the guys at Datacop are very good at what they do. Um, and, you know, they have a live model. They have all the, the, the betting tools that you'd need, you know, to tell you, like, the three balls and the, the matchups and, you know, the, mm. the highest scoring USA player, et cetera. I mean, they do, they do a lot of stuff. Interesting. Very interesting indeed. All right, brother. We'll uh, catch up with you before the Super Bowl and pick your brains and uh, get some more money. So, as always, thanks. Have a good weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the expert you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling.